Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We are working through the book of Ephesians, uh, as as Darren mentioned, uh, and the book really is focused on the nature of the church. It's kind of a, a traveling letter that Paul wrote to probably half a dozen churches in the Asia Minor uh, region in that valley, centered around the church at Ephesus. In fact, the title to the Ephesians didn't really even begin to be attached to the letter for about 300 years. So it was a, a circular letter that finally found its home at the kind of the, the center church in Ephesus where Timothy collected and then um, uh, a bishop following Timothy named Onesimus collected the letters that then became the New Testament. So this letter is Paul's uh, most uh, careful exposition of how the church works uh, and how, 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 it, how it operates. And like all of the others of his letters, it's divided into two parts. Uh, first three chapters in this particular book of the six are devoted to the theology. Who is the church? Who are the people of God? What, how did they get that way? And then the last half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, are, okay, now what? How does this work itself out? How does, how does the church operate? How do we take these divergent, disparate people from Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, slave, free, male, female? How do we, how do we make a new body of Christ from within that uh, amalgam of material? How does this happen? Um, and, and then what are the practical issues that flow out of that? So last week, as the first part of that, the emphasis was typical of Paul on unity. On unity. The church is most damaged when it is least unified. The body works better if it's cooperative. The flock is better protected if it hangs together. Unity is critical. But then, at the same time, the recognition is that like a body or like a community of any kind, uh, there are varieties of individuals within that, that body, each of which is necessary for the full and healthy functioning of that body. So Paul will write in, in Corinthians, the hand doesn't say to the eye, I don't need you, or the ear uh, doesn't say, I don't need you. Every part has a particular role, and how does then that body work? Well, it first is unity, and then diversity on the way to unity. So there is this flow that, that he describes and, 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 and seeks to develop. So um, we're in, in Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got Bibles, uh, feel free to pick them up. Uh, and, and follow along. I'm going to stick as close as I can to, to the text so you'll have a way to do that if you want to underline or take things home. And again, if you don't have a Bible and one of these is, works for you, please feel free to, to, to take it home with. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 4, uh, on this version I'm in page 815 for those of you who may not be completely familiar uh, with how it's organized. So Paul writes, verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, To each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why the text says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. He gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower, 
to the earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor-teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him then, the whole body, joined, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. Each part does its work. As you, part, as you listen to this uh, throughout the course of, of, of the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to think about that last line. Each part does its work. The question I'd like you to sit with as you listen is, what's your part and what's your work? Does that make sense? So uh, just kind of keep that frame in mind as we go, go through it, because it becomes very clear as we work through this text that this, what we are doing here on Sunday morning, is not fundamentally the work of the church. This is the church gathered, but this isn't what church is. We want to do this as well as we can, but the primary reason we want to do that is not so that we get good at doing this, but so that you get good at being the church in the world where you belong. Does that, does that make sense? And that's, that's the idea here. So we begin back at verse 7, where he says, To each one of us, grace was given. So this, whatever is going to follow this list of gifts given to the church, does not make these people better than anybody else. It just says there are certain gifts given uh, uh, to certain people who work certain ways, and other people have different gifts. So how many have been graced by God? Everyone. Right? And that works itself out differently with different persons. Not better, not worse. There's no hierarchy. It's a body. It doesn't work hierarchically. It works organically. It works from the center out. And that's kind of the idea that he's got here. According to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he quotes verse 8 from uh, the same psalm, actually, that Jordan uh, led us in earlier at the beginning of our worship service, and I didn't have time to check with him as to whether he had did that intentionally or this is one of those things that the Holy Spirit led him into, um, uh, because this text is from Psalm 68 as well, later on in the psalm, almost to the end, and it's celebrating the victory of God and how when a victor uh, moves in triumph, he receives gifts from those whom he has conquered. Now you'll notice here that what Paul has done is changed the psalm to fit his theological purposes. Instead of the risen, triumphant, victorious Christ receiving gifts, what does the risen, victorious, conquering Christ do? He gives gifts. Instead of 
tribute being given, he releases power, he releases ministry, he gives away authority, which is the the significance of our king when he conquers, rather than the kings of of any of the other religions or any of the nations. This is the kind of the point that Paul is making. Does that make sense? So as we go through this, he says, what does this mean he ascended, uh, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. There's a theological frame there that I wish I had time to go into, uh, but we, we, we don't. But in this ascent, which is the demonstration of his victory, now Christ, rather than accruing tribute to himself, accruing power to himself, coalescing all of his power, instead just divests himself of power, just gives it away. And if if you're interested, this reflects uh, back to the purpose for which we were created in the first place, that that we are created to be the image of God and the primary exercise of the image of God is in the releasing of power, not the acquiring of power. Is that you with me? So what does that look like? So this risen Christ gives gifts to the church is what it's finally going to belong to. And notice what it says here. Um, the, the, even though the... Um, New International is, is as close as to the Greek as possible. Uh, you, you just take, if you have a pen or a pencil, take out and, and, and erase or cross out the definite article there. So, so it's not the apostles or a apostles. It's just he gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave uh, uh, evangelists. He gave pastor teachers. And the reason I want to say that is that it's important for us to understand that the people, apostles, prophets, are the gift. It's not the gift of apostleship, not the gift of prophecy. It's the person given by Christ to the church. So, other than this is why it's different than the list of gifts, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where there is a gift of the word, for example, of prophecy or the gift of teaching. Those things are given to people who exercise them in time for the building up of the body of Christ. These gifts are the people themselves given to the church, and we'll talk about why they're given to the church in the first place. In other words, Darren is not just a person gifted with pastoral kinds of giftings or whatever other gifts that he might possess. He himself is the gift given to the church. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, for and, and the implications of that, I think, are, are important for us as we, as we go through this. Um, so let's walk through these gifts, because there's a couple of things that I want you to notice. First of all, these gifts do not mean necessarily that these people are more spiritual or graced than anybody else. In fact, these gifts by themselves do not qualify persons for ministry. These gifts are the foundational, baseline kinds of things. And it is character and the fruit of the Spirit that qualifies persons for ministry. So if a person has an apostolic gifting, that is to say they themselves are recognized because of the way they network or the way they are entrepreneurial in ministry or the way they plant churches, but they don't have a character that supports that gifting, they're false apostles. They're false prophets. And you ought not pay attention to them. 
So simply because somebody has a business card that says apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so doesn't mean they are. These, in fact, are not offices at all. They are recognized gifts given given by Christ to the church. This is important. The other thing I should mention just before we get into this is that these things overlap. These are are representative. They are not um, uh, exclusive. They are not the final word on this. You'll notice that I collapse pastor-teacher because that's what the... Greek text says there's no break in between them. They are not pastors and teachers. They're pastor-teachers. It's the primary way by which pastor's pastor is by teaching. Yeah? So, so, So there's an overlapping here. There are other gifts that are not included in this list. I know a lot of churches spend a lot of time thinking about the five-fold ministry gifts. These are the five. And I just want to say, yes, five, but then six and seven and four. And it, it, it varies. Uh, Christ gives to the church the people that he knows the church needs for its growing up, its development, its, its, its building. Okay? So what are they? He says, first of all, uh, they're, they're apostles. And you've already heard me talk briefly about what that means. These are the church planters. These are the missionaries. These are the people that go cross-culturally. These are the people often that leave their home environment and go to a strange and foreign land or country or county or community and and put down roots and become part of that community, uh, learn the language, learn the culture in such a way that a church uh, can be planted in that environment. These are the people also that as that church grows and begins to plant other churches, have some leadership role with the pastors of those other churches. For example, in some ways, uh, Todd Proctor, the pastor of Rock Harbor, serves for us in an apostolic function. He was given by God to that church and through that church to us. Do you see? To help us organize. And Darren's role here is the church planter. He may have, as it develops over time, it's still too early to tell, an apostolic role as we begin to plant other churches, as we begin to network with other churches. Do do, do you see? And the important thing is that rarely do these persons ever claim these gifts for themselves. I can't just wake up one morning and say, I'm an apostle. These are things that are recognized by the body of Christ and called out often of the people themselves. I didn't know I was a pastor until somebody else told me I was. This is really important because we are in a title-conscious culture. Paul is not interested in having new things to write on his business card. It's not about title. It's about function. If you have the title and don't do the function, the title doesn't give you permission. The title is given out of recognition of the gifts in operation. Does that make sense? So apostles have that role. Then we work into this next one, the prophetic role. This is the, this is the capacity that God gives certain persons and through certain persons to the church to speak into a church, maybe a conflict or maybe a decision point or maybe a, 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 an, an issue that has become naughty and difficult to untangle. 
and, and, and to speak the Word of God into that with such precision, focus, and accuracy that it is recognized as being something God has spoken to the church and unpacks them things for us, gives us clarity of understanding. This is where we're supposed to go next. This gift rarely functions individually. That is, these persons, prophets, don't typically speak to individuals. They speak to communities. There is a word of prophecy which often can be directed to individuals, but that's a slightly different gift. This person may have that gift. Like I, for example, occasionally will have a word, a prophetic word for someone, but I don't, I'm not a prophet, per se. I might have a prophetic element to my preaching and teaching. That's what I'm saying. These things are blurry. So we're getting kind of a kind of a of, of a of a of a, a, a broad based understanding that Paul's trying to say how do we get from these Jews and Gentiles slaves and free wealthy and poor how do we build a community out of this this is crazy how does this happen well Christ has given to the church men and women who are empowered to be his gifts to the church for exactly that purpose right So, the prophet is the one who helps us see clearly and understand things that we might not otherwise see. He corrects us, who exhorts us. When John Peters comes over from from, uh, England and, and, and leads us into some new understandings of the Spirit, he's functioning often in a prophetic role for us. He, okay, I, okay, I get it now in a way that perhaps I didn't get. Often a prophet will be able to come in and say to a community in a new way the same thing that the pastor has been saying for three years, but is never heard. And a prophet comes in and in ten minutes, bang! Wasn't that amazing? I've found myself often as a pastor uh, having people come in and speak words and, and our congregation at the end, you know, shaking hands on the way out. Oh, that's the first time. I've, no, it is not the first time you've ever heard that. I've been saying this for three years. Where have you been? You know, but, but what is it about that? People can often hear that outside voice recognizing, okay, 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 this is Christ's gift to us to be able to see with clarity and precision something that we didn't see before, couldn't see before. Do you see? So the, the, the prophet functioned this role. The, the, the evangelist is the one who has, ha, is given to the church to just help us continue to push back against the kingdom of darkness. Train us in evangelism. Train us in apologetics. Train us in giving a reason for the hope that lies within us. But also living that out in his or her own life. Uh, the, the evangelist is the person who, who cannot walk into a Starbucks without three people knowing them. The evangelist isn't the one, is the one who walks down the street and, and can't make a straight path because people are coming out of their houses to connect with them. That they've built a friendship with, that they've built a relationship with. It's the guy whose house is the center of the community. They have people over to their homes. They're just sowing seed, sowing seed, helping people to understand. We had a friend um, uh, that uh, was was probably the most one of the most effective evangelists that uh, I've ever met. He used to work for World Vision, and now he works for uh, a Christian school in development. But his his primary gifting, I really think, given to the church is an evangelist. And Jerry. Would just he was one of those guys that he would just pray, Lord, as I'm traveling for World Vision, uh, I have an empty seat beside me. Bring the person that you want me to talk to today. 
Now, I personally, whenever I travel, I pray that nobody would sit beside me. <laughs> right? And Jerry, 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 because I'm, as, yes, thank you, thank you, all the introverts got over the, yeah. So, 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 but Jerry, he would just pray, Lord, and, and he preferred, I mean, the guy was six, three, about 250 pounds, and he preferred to sit in the middle. Two for one. This was his logic. If this person doesn't work out, this person will. And I've got this person trapped. They, right? I mean, it, it, it was just hilarious. We invited them, they, they invited us out for dinner one night, came over to pick us up. Carolyn comes to the door, knock, 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 and we're saying, where's Jerry? And Jerry's over talking to Bob. Bob? Yeah, your next door neighbor, Bob. Well, I, I know it was my next door neighbor. I mean, I've, you know, said hi 18 times, but I've never been over. And Jerry just assumes that Bob wants to be his friend. And so he walks up his driveway. Bob's working on it in his garage, sewing, I mean, uh, cutting some lumber. And, 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 and Jerry, what, what are you doing? And 45 minutes later, Bob and Jerry are best friends. They've made contact for the next conversation. They're going to do coffee. It's like, I've lived beside this guy for five years. I get high at the mailbox. What are you doing? I don't, I don't, he has no idea what he's doing. But he influences Bob gently, gently, gently towards a faith in Christ. Do you see? And, and, and people just want to be around an evangelist. Because, and, it, and it's not the guy necessarily can be, but it usually isn't the guy standing on the soapbox in the corner. You're going to go to hell. It's usually the people. Let me, let, me, let me show you how wonderful Jesus is. Let me talk to you about my best friend in all the world. Do you see? It's, it's, it, it, it functions in that way. And then the pastor teacher are those, uh, the word pastor, as you know, maybe you don't, but you will in, in a moment, is the same word Greek for shepherd. So all of the imagery of caring for a flock and of nurturing, a, nurturing the lambs and of binding up the broken and, and, and pouring oil into the wounds and, 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 and shepherding uh, comes with that, but also with it teaching. Because that's the primary way by which the flock is nurtured. And, and, and again, Christ gives persons to a church to do this for us. So he has given Darren to this community for the purpose. And, and others have pastoral gifts. But he is the one, I think, that God has given to this community. And again, these people aren't perfect. They're not going to do this right all the time. We're, we're nothing but, but messy folks in a messy community in the middle of mess, right? So, so we're not going to get it right all the time. Uh, and I just love the fact that the New Testament is so wide-eyed about the nature of what is happening here. This is crazy to think that these people from different language groups and different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds all come together and now become the body of Christ. No wonder we have conflict. No wonder we have tension. No wonder we have difficulty sometimes. No matter, wonder sometimes it's messier in the church. Have you ever felt this way? It's messier in the church than it ever was outside. It, well, what do you expect? Out there, people are isolated in their messiness. Here, they bring it with them. And it collides with other people's messiness. Do you see? 
That's why we've got to, one of the reasons why unity is so critical. We've got got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to have the hard conversations. We've got to call people out and allow them to call us out. Right? We've got to stop bullying and call out bullies in our community. Right? We we just have to do that. Because that's the nature of what it means for us to be chaos. And I, I love it when people say, I just want to go back to the purity and simplicity of the early church. No, no, actually you don't. You really don't. Because it was, it, 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 it was hell on wheels sometimes back there. It was really tough for folks, right? And, 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 or, you know, which church? Because they were all very, very different. So now we have these four things. And again, these, are, these four or five, depending on how you, how you work it, the, the goal here is discipleship for the pastor, uh, bringing people individually through group and individual teaching and walking with people. Um, I meet with anywhere between 15 and 20 people a week. And, 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 and people ask, how do you do that? It's, I don't know how not to do it. That's who I am. I, I teach at my courses at the university. My primary gifting is not teacher, it's pastor. So what I do there, I do as a pastor. What I do here, I try to do as a pastor. Um, it's been so much fun to start to meet with people from the garden. Uh, and, 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 you know, over the course of a year, I'll meet between 700 and 750 people for an hour at a time. Now, where does that come from? I have no idea. I'm an introvert. I don't really even like people that much. <laughs> but as a pastor, I can't not do that. Do you see? And it also helps, and this is the other thing that happens, is that I really love people. I want them to grow up. I want them to mature and become who God has called and created them to be. I want to challenge them. I want to encourage them. Right? And frankly, I feel I get as much out of the conversation as anybody else does. That's why I don't think of myself as a mentor. I hate that term. I, I get it, but I don't think of it that way. I, I just walk with people. That's what pastors do. Do you see? That's what our community group leaders are doing. They have, have, have gifts that have bubbled up. They're saying, I don't really know how to do this really well, but they can come to my house. We can be hospitable. We can lead a conversation. I can care for people. Hello. That's how all of this craziness becomes unified and grows to be the body of Christ. That's how it happens. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see? So, what's the point of all of this? And Paul says it here for us in chapter uh, 4, verse uh, 12. He says, the purpose of all of these gifts is for the equipping of the saints so that they can do the work of service. So that they can do the work of ministry. So, one more time. Who are the ministers of the garden? One, two, three, four, five, six. You all ought to have your hands up, right? Darren and myself and others in this category are not the ministers. We have been called by God to step back from the front lines of ministry and support you and care for you and help you in your front line ministry. It is not our job to put together a great show on Sunday morning so everybody walks out of here feeling like we've had a great worship service. The, 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 the real test of this hour, 
is what happens tomorrow morning when you go to work. Have you been equipped to stand one more time in front of that classroom of preschoolers and be a representative of the kingdom of God? Have you been equipped to go home to your roommate and have a hard conversation in Jesus' name that builds both of you up iron sharpening iron? Have you, been, have you, have you received something that will enable you in, in, in working through tension in your marriage? Okay, I, I, I know what to do. I don't really want to do it, but I know what to do now. And we'll equip you to do what you know to do, even if you don't feel like doing it. That's our job. We've st- so the pastor's not the minister. The pastor's not the one, the prophet? No. Apostle? No. Not on the front lines of ministry. They've stepped back from the front lines of ministry and are supporting those who are on the front lines of ministry. Namely, y'all. Right? Who are doing things in Jesus' name uh, at the cutting edge of the kingdom of, 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 of God. Um, so, so with that in mind, the goal here is to equip you all to do the work of service. What's your part? Right? And, and it, like I mentioned before, in another context, it only takes between 15 and 20 percent of the people who call a local church home to actually run the operations of that local church. Here's what I'm thinking. If it only takes between 10 and 15 percent of the body to actually make things work on Sundays, that means between 80 and 85 percent of the body ought to be doing their primary ministry other than as the church on Sunday morning. They ought to be doing their ministry as the church on Monday morning. At your place of employment when you sit down with a, with a co-worker or you sit down with a client or you supervise an employee, all of those things are the primary places of ministry that you are hopefully equipped and released to do here. So, so again, this is not a product you consume on Sunday morning. That's not our job. We're not stocking the shelves with spiritual goodies. Our job is to equip you and and, and challenge you and encourage you and build you up so that you can do the work of ministry until what goal is achieved? Unity. Unity of faith and the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. What's the measure of maturity? Christ-likeness. The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So our goal is that you become fully yourself. Or most like Christ, which is the same thing. My challenge always is not to create cookie cutter imitators of an image of Christ in my mind. But to say... How is Christ most lived through you? What would Jesus do if He were you? And to empower and equip and challenge you into that. Because we have way too much competitive and comparative Christ-likeness going on. I want to be spiritual like so-and-so. No, we already have that one. We need you to be spiritual like you. Do, do, Do you see? And this is, otherwise the body is walking around with parts that don't work. We need your arm not to be this one, but this one. Right? We need you to do your job, equipped to do fully yourself, so that the body flourishes. And this is, of course, the point. You see the genius in this, by the way, right? I mean, it's just brilliant. 
how, how you'd, you'd think God put this together. Okay, um, so that we are what? No longer children. Grow up. We should not be having the same conversations five years from now. There ought to be transformation occurring. We should not be surprised when transformation occurs. I was privileged to be a guest at a wedding uh, 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 last week or two weeks ago. I can't remember what it was. Uh, in, 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 in which um, the, the young man, uh, uh, student of mine at Vanguard, and, and a friend who I've walked with, I did their pre-marriage counseling, um, uh, and the two of them actually were both students at, at various times. But this guy, five years ago, was sleeping in a porta potty in San Francisco as a homeless young man on, strung out on drugs. It, uh, the, the 150 people wept as they watched what it meant for him to say, I do, as a transformed New creation in Christ. Transformation should be the norm, not the exception for the body of Christ. We need to be growing up. And of course, not all of us start at that place. But I want, I, I, I hate to say it because it's so embarrassing to me, but you know what Jesus is challenging me to this year? He's challenging me to love Him more. Through loving others more. Having loved myself better. I just hate that. It's like, really? That's it? Yeah, I think you're ready to love more now. I think you're ready. What's He calling you to? Do you see? What's the next step of your maturity? This is why we teach you transformational practices. This is why you plug into together groups. This is why we bring guests in. Chris Winan comes in and, 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 and helps us. Do you see? This is what the point of all of this is. Why? Because, frankly, there's stuff blowing around in the wind and you could get knocked sideways with it. Things, doctrines, trickery of men, craftiness, deceitful scheming. And it happens all the time. I mean, the, the, the plethora of resources available to the church of Jesus today is so much, and most of it, you don't need to pay attention to. Is anybody unclear on what your task is? I mean, seriously, you know everything you need to know to get to heaven and take somebody with you. So let's concentrate. This is why often we just need we need we need to hear a single voice. It's not it's not we don't need to make it more complicated. We need to have a single focus that then brings us into maturity and development. So we're to grow together to the place where we can speak the truth, but only in love. Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up into all aspects into Christ Jesus, who is the head. From whom then the whole body being fit and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see how he's done just this, this wonderful density as you get into it and you start to, to notice this is about unity. It's about diversity. It's about love. It's about love lived. 
and, and as, we, as we learn into and as we receive the gifts God has given us in our pastor, as we receive the gifts that God brings us in prophets who may come and speak God's Word into our immediate situation, as we receive God's gift in these kinds of roles, we grow up. And, and, and my guess is, and because I've walked with a few of you now, my guess is that you've already started to notice yeah, I'm having similar kinds of conversations, but it's not at the same level as I used to. I'm not dealing with the same stuff. I'm dealing, it's, it's a spiral. I'm dealing with the same sets of besetting sins, but I'm dealing with them at a different levels. That's what growing up looks like. That's what growing up looks like. I'm not battling sin so much anymore. Now I'm moving towards righteousness. Okay, that's huge. That's huge. That's moving from just saying no to choosing life. Do, do you feel the difference there? It's huge. And the other thing I want to say just real quickly, to set up a little bit of a response that I'd like you to consider. You can't just wake up one morning and say, I choose to be a pastor or a, an apostle or a prophet or whatever. This is something God has to call you to do. The norm is frontline ministry at Boeing. That's the norm. Or wherever you work. You don't have to go to work for Boeing. They're not hiring. So, but, you know, the, the, the front, or, or in your home, or in your classroom, or at your place of business, as you sit down to write a line of code, as you sit down to tally a column of figures, as you sit down to work with Excel or whatever, it is, that's the place, that's the norm for ministry. In order to not do that, you have to be called by God to do something else. So important is this that I tell people, if you... If you can be happy doing anything else, then you're probably not called to vocational ministry. And I'm comfortable to let people play in, around with that and work with that. I've got a f- friend that I've been walking with for about five years who was a pastor at a, at, at a, a church in the area here. And he just, he just got burnt out in ministry and burnt out in trying to do this and so on and so forth. So I said, well, why don't you go back to school? See if you can do something else. So we've been, I've been walking with him now for about four years, and guess where his journey is taking him? He's coming right back and just recently received an, offer to, uh, an opportunity to become, just teach for us every once in a while. Would you do that? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Breakfast the other morning, he says, I don't know what God's doing. I'm not happy with my graduate degree education and the life that it produces. I'm making more money than I've ever made before. But I wish I could go back to those days when I was a youth pastor and people's lives were being transformed. It was all I could do to say, I told you so. I didn't say that. But do you see what I mean? God, God's, God's not a tyrant. He'll lead you there. In fact, I think one of the things that we need to be aware of as, as the garden continues to expand and grow, some of you may be feeling God calling you to consider vocational ministry. Your training has tracked you in some other directions and you're realizing, no, I really want to do this. I really am having a sense that God wants me to do this. There's a whole bunch of things that go into it. But um, I want you to consider whether that might be what God's up to. In fact, in a moment, as we close in, 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 in um, prayer and, medit- and reflection with, the, with song, uh, some of you may want us just to pray for you, for, to seal that, at least that willingness to explore. This is a direction 
that we're, we're, we're wanting to pursue. Or I'm, I'm, I just want to say, God, if this is what you want, yes. I just want to say yes to you. Does that make sense? But the larger question, for I would say the majority, is going to be, what's your part? Because every part contributes to the, to the growth, contributes to the body. Let's pray together. And, uh, if you're, let's just take a moment. And I'm going to ask you to sit with this in stillness for a second. If you, um, as, as Jordan and the, and the team lead us, if you would like us to pray with you, maybe you could just stand where you are. Uh, and, and we'll just ask the people around you to, uh, to uh, pray with you. Uh, that this is something you are willing to explore with God. You have a sense that maybe He's calling you into this. And as we begin to uh, uh, sing, as we begin to uh, come to conclusion here, I want to uh, give an opportunity for that. But otherwise, why don't you just ask God, what's my part? How can I be doing this? Whether it's here on Sunday morning and set up and tear down, all kinds of things needing to be done. Or, what's my part in my community? With my community group, with my neighbors? At the, at the Fifth Street Garden, someplace where I can be transformative presence. All right? Let's pray together, and then Jordan's going to lead us. And then if we can pray with you in this, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are. Lord Jesus, we um, humble ourselves before you. We recognize that we are the recipients of gifts. And as we receive, then we can give. Uh, and so I pray, O oh Lord, that if there are men and women here who are, are sensing a tug to consider uh, maybe vocational ministry, maybe stepping back from the front lines to equip and support those who are doing that frontline ministry, that you would um, give them courage to just stand where they are. And then as we gather around them to pray for clarity, pray for direction as they surrender. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.